Open to Ephesians 4. Let me just uh, place the Word of God in our mind where we'll be in just those three verses in 422 through 24. We're in Paul's argument. He tells us to put off your old self in 422, which belongs to your former uh, manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's bow in a word of prayer, and then we'll turn our time and attention to the word of God. Father, I would pray that your spirit goes out this day through the power of the word of God, that you might renew our minds, that you might renew our hearts, that we might understand some of the depth and breadth and length and height of the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. And then, Father, as we partake of the Lord's table and remember the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf, his shed blood that we would turn our attention even at this season to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to the great I am and so father we look to you and trust you open our minds illuminate our hearts even this day that you might change us from the inside out that we might be a people who gives you honor and glory in Christ's name amen Kevin DeYoung has that's probably a Dutch reform named, I would think, De Young. He has written a marvelous book. It's called The Whole in Our Holiness. And one of the statements that Kevin De Young makes in that book, in The Whole in Our Holiness, which is one of the a great tool on the doctrine of sanctification or holiness, he made this statement that no one succeeds at the highest level in sports without working out. No one makes, he says, music without lots of practice. No one excels, he said, in scholarship without years of study. And he said no one, he said, makes it far in the school of holiness without hours and days and years in the word of God. And I think that's right, end of quote he said there. He, he said in the word of God, and that is our theme this morning, renewing the mind. And we're going to lock in on that section in 422 through 24. Sanctification, we've said the last couple weeks together, is the process of growing towards holiness. It is to gain an increasing freedom from sin and to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our desire here. That's our desire at this church. We're not to look slick or professional. I suppose we, we want to be on mission, but overrated. One of the greatest goals that we can do, as you've heard in the purpose statement, is that we would exalt the Savior by equipping the saints. And certainly we have a role in that to equip you, and I trust that's what's taking place today. But the real point as well is you have to equip yourself. In fact, our worship on the Lord's Day will only be as 
profitable as your time in the Word has been in the week. And so we're talking about sanctification. And we've said the last couple weeks, we looked at the doctrine briefly of justification, our legal standing, then the doctrine of sanctification, that's where we find ourselves in this life, growing in holiness, growing in Christ's likeness, and then the doctrine of glorification, which will be our theme in heaven. And so, but in the middle of that, those bookends, we're in sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Now, as we stepped into Ephesians 4, we were looking at two great denominators there, the old life in 417 through 19 that we died to, and then the new life that is contained in 20 through verse 24. What we once were to what we're now becoming in Christ, and he shows a great contrast there, what we were and what we now are. Now, he, he says there, look in verse uh, 20, when he's talking about the old life in the previous verses, he says in 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming, and it's a first class conditional clause you have, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And so he began to instruct us in that new life, what we've learned, what we've heard, what we've been taught, and the truth is in Jesus. Now what follows in our little outline is what you've learned, heard, and have been taught as the truth is in Jesus. Three, we could say grammatically, infinitives follow that. Look at this next slide, and I want you to see the outline of where we find ourselves. Look at the next slide even after that. It's the mortification of the flesh, which we've talked about, to put off the old self. The meditation on the word, verse 23, and the manifestation of Christ's likeness to put on the new self. And so here is the process of sanctification of how it works. And you could actually just classify this as a theology. You put off the old man, and it literally means to, to take off the old man like a coat, and then you renew your mind, and then you put on the new self. Now we begin there with the mortification of the flesh to put off the old self. And we looked at that scripture in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, this phrase, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And there's that phrase in Romans 8.13, to put to death. To put to death literally means to mortify. And what you're doing is you're putting to death, mortifying, here, the old self. What is that? He redeemed you. He made you a new creature, but we still live, if you will, with the residue that we called last week unredeemed flesh. You say, what is that? Well, there's, there's, we're not perfect. We're not in glorification. We're in a process here of sanctification, and we still have within us what we can call unredeemed flesh. And that flesh 
that's still unredeemed until we get to glory needs to be killed. It needs to be mortified. In fact, uh, I think it was Bunyan, Johnny, you might have that right in your Bible, where Bunyan said, kill sin or it will be killing you. Or maybe it says, Johnny, in your Bible, sin will keep you from this book or the book will keep you from sin. But we have a responsibility, if you will, to mortify the flesh. Now, positionally, we said in the mortification of the flesh, our old man has died. We know it says that in Romans 6, 7, that our old self was crucified with him. And the thought would be when Christ died, we died. When Christ was raised to the newness of life, we were raised. That's our positional standing. That old man has died. But we said that our position does not negate the fact that we battle with sin. It's simply to say, speaking of our old self, that we are no longer, once we're in Christ, to the bondage to, in bondage to sin. That sin no longer owns us. That sin no longer, in the life of a believer, is to reign over us. It is to say that we're no longer controlled by sin. But again, Calvin said that in our heart there is that smoldering cinder ready to ignite. So sin still dwells in our mortal bodies and we'll fight it all the way until we get to heaven. So this is what Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 is about. Let me just take you just a step further. Look at verse 22. When he talks about the old self, he says it belongs to your former manner of life. And he said it is corrupt through deceitful desires. In other words, that old man that we, were, that we once were and what we were saved out of here is corrupt. It's perishing is the thought. The old man is rotting. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul said, we do not lose heart. He said, but though the outer man, he used this phrase, is wasting away, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. In fact, it's corrupt. Barth, the commentator, said that the old man's behavior is putrid. It's crumbling. It's like rotting waste. He said, or cadavers, stinking, ripe for being disposed of and forgotten. And so Paul is saying here, why continue with your former manner of life when it's corrupt? And look what it says in 22 there. It's corrupt through deceitful desires. It's deceitful. In other words, sin promises everything and it delivers nothing. It's deceitful. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in 3.13 that, uh, it, that each of you, uh, as the day goes by, day after day, it says, as long as it is, is still called today, he says, encourage each other, lest anyone be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's this old life. You have to mortify it. You've learned Christ. You were taught in Christ. Truth is in Christ. And you've got to mortify it, and you should, because you don't want to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Paul in that great chapter in Romans 7 said, For sin taking opportunity through the commandment, he said it deceived me and through it it killed me. So he says you need to put off that old man. It is deceptive. So positionally, you've died to Christ, but practically, the point is that you have no obligation to sin. So you mortify the flesh, and then look at verse 23. He tells us there, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Now this is a profound statement here. You're to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I think we know that because of the fall of man, that man fell all the way back in the book of Genesis 3 into a state of depravity. Originally, man and woman in the garden were perfect in body, perfect in soul, perfect in spirit. We were at that point in Genesis 3, the apex of God's creation, But beloved, as we know, the fall ruined everything. It affected our body. We die. It affected our spirit, our soul. We're cut off and alienated from God. But the fall all the way back in Genesis affected our mind. In in fact, look at the text in 4.17, all the places where the mind is spoken of, this is what the fall did. He says, you are no longer, you know, he says, to walk as the Gentiles do. How do they walk? Well, it says there, in the futility of their mind. In other words, it is empty. It is purposelessness. Life without Christ The mind has been affected, and here it's the futility of their mind. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. Speaking of those who don't know God, they are darkened in their understanding. They don't understand spiritual things. Alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. So they're futile, if you will. This is our life before Christ. We were darkened without understanding, and we were spiritually ignorant of the ways of Christ. In fact, look over to chapter 2 in verse 3, before Christ. He says in 2-3, you remember that, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Here's what life is before Christ. Carrying out, watch this, The desires of the body and of the mind, carrying out those sinful, wicked desires. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 7, that the mind set on the flesh, the mind, is hostile toward God. It does not even subject itself to the law of God. Paul said in Romans 8, 7, it's not even able to do so. So watch, as you watch our world unfold, don't be surprised. This is the Gentiles who don't know God. You've been placed to to be salt and light, but the unbelieving world cannot subject themselves to the law of God. They're not even able to do so. 
In fact, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae in 121, said you, speaking even of our own life, were formally alienated, and he said in Colossians 121, hostile in mind. This was our former manner of life. Paul, in, to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, you know it might maybe by heart, in whose case the God of this world, God, little g, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. To what end? That they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. As you spend time with family over Christmas, you may be the only light they will ever know. And I pray that God gives you opportunity, but the God of this world spends his time blinding the minds of the unbelieving. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, that the natural man, unbelieving man, carnal man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He doesn't have the mind. She doesn't have the mind to understand Christ. But praise be to God that all of this has changed for you if you're in Christ in regeneration when he causes you to be born again. Okay? All of that is new to us. He saves you both in your body and will give you a new body one day. He saves your soul. He gives you a heart for the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. He renews you and gives you a mind that now can spiritually appraise the person of Christ. And now he comes in verse 23 and he exhorts you, and I'll explain this, to renew your mind. And so there's the mortification of the flesh. That was what you have learned and were taught. Secondly now, to live in holiness, you need to meditate on the word of God. You need to mortify, kill the flesh, and now you need to meditate on the word of God. Now I don't mean to be in any way confusing, but I want you to understand something here. In Ephesians chapter 4, these words here of put off and put on are the bookends. And in the middle is being renewed. Put off and put on are in what we call the aorist tense. They are completed actions. So what that means is if you're in Christ, you have died to the old life. He's now saying then live like that. In reality, it's already happened. Now I want you to live in obedience to that because sin no longer owns you. He's going to tell you to put on the new man. It's already a completed action, but he's going to say, live this way and live this out. But in the middle here, I just want you to understand this. This is not an aorist tense. This is a present, I'll explain this to you, passive infinitive. So right in the middle here, he says there's not just a completed action, there's something you have to do. You have to renew your mind. 
In other words, he's not going back to the point of your salvation. He's telling you this morning, on December 12th, you you have to be a man, you have to be a woman, whose being, the thought here is daily renewed. You say, well, how can I understand the renewal of my mind? Well, there's four aspects to renewal. I'll just hit them kind of quick, okay? There's an action, there's an object, there's an agent, and there's a means, and I'll explain those, okay? So what does this mean? Because I want us to be a mature church. I don't want us to be a slick church. I don't want us to be uh, uh, kind of a church that's relevant I want you to run deep here in the ways of Christ. And I want you to understand what this means, and we have a responsibility very well. Let's click these off. First, the action of renewal. Look at it in verse 23. The action is, and to be, he says, renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's present tense, as I just mentioned, that you be, I don't know what you think the Christian life is, that you be, constantly, continuously renewed. And that would be for you if you're a seventh grader or if you're somebody who's in their 80s. You have a responsibility. Mortify the flesh, but here to renew your mind. It is a continual process. In other words, in addition to the death of the old self, speaking positionally in Christ, there is to be a daily renewal that is taking place in your mind. You say, what does that word mean? Well, here's the action. It just, it's not not too complicated. It means to renew. It means to make new again. The idea of the word here is to renovate. You say, well, in what way? Well, look down at verse 24. We'll come to this next time together. To put on the new self. How's the new self been created? It says, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What Paul is saying here, beloved, our mind was once futile. Our mind was once ignorant. Our mind was once darkened, if you will. It's been radically changed in conversion. And yet, in our new life in Christ, you must be constantly renewed. That's the action. Secondly, look here, not just at the action of renewal, the object of renewal. You can see it there in verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your, he uses the plural there, your minds. In other words, the object of renewal is not something external, which is interesting. It's something internal. In other words, he's not telling you high school students, here's the formula, here's the plan, here's the program, and here's what you need to do by regulation. No, Paul says here, this ideal of the object is internal. It's renewing of your mind. The Greek word there is nous, and I'll just be brief here. It has to do with the capacity to understand to reason, if you will. It's the ideal of making a moral decision is what he's talking about. To making a lifestyle choice. And so you are exhorted, I am, to put off the old, to put on the new, 
through the renewal of the mind. Let me zero in on this just for a second. It's a renewal of the heart is what it is. Paul put it this way in Colossians 3.10. He says, having put on the new self, which is, he said there, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So the action is to be continually renewed. The object for you to grow in holiness and sanctification is not external, it's through the mind. And now thirdly, the agent of renewal. The agent, who does this? I I mean, you say, Pastor Scott, I want that to happen. How does that happen though? Well, there's an agent. Look at the text in verse 23, 23. To be renewed, it says, in the spirit. Now we just have to stop there for a second because we're addressing the agent of renewal. It says to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And we'd have to be asked the question there, which spirit is this? There are a number of commentators who believe that what Paul is after here is your human spirit. You are to be renewed, if you will, in your human spirit, lowercase s, And that would be be renewed in your inner man. Certainly there's truth to that. But I believe what the text is saying here, and I'll tell you why, is I believe it refers to the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying here that the agent of renewal is the Holy Spirit, and it is by the power of the Spirit that the mind is renewed. He is the agent of renewal. You say, well, Scott, why do you believe that? Well, I'll just say briefly to you, nowhere in the book of Ephesians does Paul refer to the human spirit. It is always, at least in Ephesians, a reference to the Holy Spirit. You say, like where? Well, let me show you. Look back one page, maybe in Ephesians 3.16. Do you remember there we were addressing here that great prayer that according to the riches of his glory, that he, this is how we can pray, may grant you to be strengthened with power through his, what? Spirit in your inner being, and there you'll notice at least it's supplied in my ESV, it's spirit pneuma with the capital S, capital S. Look over at Ephesians, if you will, 5.18, that wonderful section where he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, he says there, with the Spirit. In addition, in Romans 8, You could look there on your own in Romans 8, 5, verse 8, 5 through 13. It talks about the power of the Spirit of God to mortify the deeds of the flesh, particularly 8, 11, 8, 13. And so I believe here what Paul is saying, the agent is the Holy Spirit. In fact, it says this in Titus 3, 5, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration. And in 3.5, he says the renewal by the Holy Spirit. 
So, beloved, here the agent is God's Holy Spirit working on the mind of man. Now, stay with me here. There's something fascinating about this word, and I just have to tell you about it, okay? The word renewed is a present tense that I told you about. But rather than it being a present active, you doing the work, and I think this will make a difference, so I'll share it with you. It's a present passive, amazing That for you to be renewed is not something you're doing. You're not active in it. I'm just telling you what the word says. Something is being acted upon you. In other words, we're passive. And so the thought would be here, not renew yourself. Rather, that something, it is something that the Spirit of God is doing in you. The renewing of your mind is not something you take up, but it is something that takes you up, if you will. We do not actively renew our minds, but it is something being acted on us by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, then what what are we talking about here? Number four, the means of renewal. The means of renewal. And let me just say it succinctly in a statement. There's many things that he could use, but driving at this text is that his word is the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to renew our minds. In other words, God has ordained the means of renewal And it is not your activity, it is the power of the Holy Spirit working through his word. And certainly this is in the context of learning Christ, hearing about Christ, being taught by Christ, and finally that the truth, the truth of the word of God is in Christ. So let me say this to you, stay with me on this. That the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we spent weeks there, months, it's all online on John 14. First of all, the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. We know that. It's not to give you some kind of subjective expression and event. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity is to honor, is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. But one of the other ministries of the Holy Spirit, there's many of them, is to reveal truth. He is called in 1426, in fact, that is his very name, he is the spirit of truth. Remember in John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth and thy, what? Word is truth. Let me say this slowly to you. What the Spirit of God does is take the Word of God and apply the Word of God to our life and in essence, He renews your mind. The Spirit of God, taking the Word of God, He's renewing your mind. Listen, take your Bible and I want to show you an illustration Look over to Romans 12 just for a moment. 
the text is very similar and the grammatical language is very much the same as Ephesians 12, excuse me, Ephesians 4.23. You know this text in 12.1 of Romans, but I wanted to show you and I wanted to give this maybe just as a biblical illustration to you of what this means. He says, I appeal to you in 12.1, brothers, I beg you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And it's a sacrifice, but it's alive. But this sacrifice is holy. This sacrifice is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I don't know how many people today in our century believe that. But to give your body in holiness, young people, is an act of worship. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, look, you know it in 12.2. I don't want you to be conformed to this world. In other words, if you're going to present your body, there's a few things that you've got to do. First, you make a, a, a presentation. But secondly, you make a denunciation of conforming to this world. And the word conformed means it's the ideal of being squeezed into a mold. I mentioned that when I went to the zoo as a young boy, they had those wax machines that would make a gorilla or make a lion or make an elephant. And you put the money in and the, the liquid wax came out down some of these chutes and it ran into a mold and it, and, it, and it put that wax into a mold. And then after it dried a couple of minutes, boom, that thing would pop out and come to the bottom and you had your very own life, your wax, the, that you, it seemed real. Here, a little bit of what Paul's saying. Listen, if you're gonna present your body a living sacrifice... You cannot conform your life to a mold. Listen, the world, you know this, and the media is doing everything they can to put you into a mold. And Paul is saying, actually, if you're going to be a living sacrifice, you can't be a poser. You can't be put into a mold. In fact, the, the word was also used of somebody who's a poser, and so as I grew up, I used to think of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the world's strongest man, who would, you know, give you his pose, and he would show you his muscles, and he's so big, and all of that. He's, he's giving you a pose of, you know, the, the muscles on his body, and what Paul is saying, oh no, listen, I want you to make a presentation. I don't want you to be conformed to this world. I don't want you to be a poser. I don't want you to talk like the world. I don't want you to dress like the world. I don't want you to go to the world's places of sin. You've got to stop posing. And then look what he says proactively. He said, I want you to be, in 12.2, transformed. What a statement. Watch this. By the renewal of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is. Now, now, stay with me here. That Greek word, transformed, uh, is something done to you. In other words, you're not active, even though it says be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the same thought in 4.23. The word there, to be transformed, I'll share it with you, is metamorpho. Metamorpho, I think you can hear the English word. It speaks of a change of an outward appearance. 
The English word, obviously, is metamorphosis, or metamorphosis, if you will. The tadpole, we understand, becomes a frog. The caterpillar becomes a, what? A butterfly. Uh, I think, sadly, though, in my weird existence growing up in the San Fernando Valley of that man by the name of the Incredible Hulk, when he got mad and his eyes turned green, he turned and transformed into another person. What's interesting about this word here in Romans 12, 2, is that the change doesn't come from the outside to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The change comes from within. What it's saying here in Romans, as well as Ephesians, that the, that the change on the outside is the natural expression of the change taking place on the inside. Now, let me just highlight something for you. I don't mean to be heady here. It's present tense. In other words, you come to Christ, you understand this. You are exhorted to stop posing like the world, but to be transformed. He doesn't say when you come to Christ, everything is done. When you come to Christ, you have to still kill sin. And secondly, you have to meditate on the word. You have to be transformed in 423 by the renewal of your mind. And here in 12.2, he's saying the same thing. It's present tense. This is the Christian life. Secondly, let me put it this way, it's an imperative of command here. In other words, he's not giving you an option. Some of you might want to blow this off today. I have no idea. Some of you might be here because your parents drew you here. But if you're in Christ, if you're claiming Christ, he's not only telling you this present tense, he's telling you this by way of imperative of command. But then the third thing, and this is really what I wanted to say here in 12.2, transformed is in the, yes, you've heard it again, the passive voice. Paul is not telling you here, nor in 423, to transform yourself. He's actually saying, let yourself be transformed by the work of the Spirit of God, by the renewal of the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me bring this together in Romans 12. Take your body, here's how you live out all the truth of Romans 1 through 11, and put it on the altar. Put it on the altar as a living sacrifice. And then take your mind and be continually transformed and renewed from the inside out. And again, it's the Holy Spirit at work in you. You are not renewing yourself. It is something that is being done to you. It is being done to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me see if I could drive this home as we go into the Lord's table. Two implications for you this morning and what this means. Number one, you need to think biblically. Think biblically. You say, what do I mean by that? Well, it's not enough just to come to Christ and not put the word of God in your heart. Paul said in Philippians 4.8, Do you know by heart, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is good, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind, what? Dwell on these things. You need to, number one, think biblically. I promise you, your next three years will be determined by what you do with this book. What Paul is saying here in Romans 12, as well as Ephesians 4, you need to be transformed. You need to renew your mind. And God has set the means up through the power of the Holy Spirit as you read the Word of God to transform you inside out. And the only way you can get along with your in-laws at Christmas or the holidays is to think biblically. Oh, but Pastor Scott, if you... No, no. Whatever's true, whatever's lovely, whatever's honorable, if there's any excellence, if there's any... But, but, but... No, no, no. You will be a product of how you think. And your next three years on this life and in this world and in this society are going to be determined not by what CNN says, praise God, not by what Fox News says. It's going to be your ability as a man of God to put yourself under the word of God to allow the spirit of God to change you from the inside out. And I'm pleading with you as Paul would, as your pastor, we don't want a slick church. I need a church of sage men and women who drive deep into the things of the scripture, who allow the word of God to come outside, inside, inside, outside, so that their mind is renewed, so that our worship is, is what we need to be. That's what we need here so I want to just say we desperately want you to, number one, think biblically because Paul said that in Philippians 4.8. Of course, I could go on. Colossians 3, you know, if you've been raised up with Christ because you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are what? Above. Do you do that? The real question is, are you doing that every day? If you think or I think I can get by just on the church service, you're wrong. I need you to equip yourself in the word of God every week so that your life becomes a transforming agent in the life of this church and that your own mind, my own mind is renewed. I, you know, somebody asked me this week, Scott, how did you spend... Um, extra time in the Word of God, and I understand what they mean. They're asking me, uh, they're, they're understanding that by this time, as I come to you, I've got 20 hours of the Word for you right now. But I don't even know if it's 20 hours. I'd probably say it's my whole life that can come to this point to preach because the word's just going in me, but I, 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 I don't know if this is like just me, but I'm telling you, I can do that, and some guys do that, and they allow their time in the Word to renew them. I actually have to get in the Word of God for my own life. So usually every morning, I turn the coffee machine on, and I turn on my McShane Bible reading plan, and I have to read the Word of God. 
every day of my life. Because every day of my life, I'm gonna be tend, I'm gonna have tendency to move towards the flesh, and I have to walk by the Spirit, and I need to let the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, who's the agent, who set up the means of the Word of God to come in and change me. So I need that, you need that. Number one, you need to think biblically. You know, you know I'm gonna say this, you mamas, you can't lead your little babies without this. You've got to abide in Christ and he in you, but you've got to be transformed daily. And I could say to you dads, you may be out there successful in business. Praise the Lord, we ought to be an example in that. But your life as a man, as a leader, as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather is going to be determined by your renewal. Your daily, daily renewal. Number one, think biblically. Number two, and I'm done here, you need to get a grip on the word of God. Get a grip on the word of God. And when I say get a grip on the word of God, I'm talking about a grip with your hand. I have a hand. Most of us have five fingers. There's few of you that only have four here, and I know who you are. Um, There was an accident somewhere uh, with a gun, but you got to get a grip. You might even know who I'm talking about, right? Um, You need to get a grip, and you need to have a five-fold grip on the Word of God. You say, what does that mean? Number one, you need to hear the Word of God. Hear the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of faith. You're here today. You're in the hearing of the Word of God. I want you to be here. I need your heart to be renewed. We tend towards the flesh, and we need to get back in the groove, and the Lord uses this. You need to hear the Word of God. That's just one. Secondly, you need to read the Word of God. So you need to hear it preached. You need to listen to it. But secondly, you need to read the word of God. The Bible says in Revelation 1-3, if you read it, you're going to be blessed. You need to have a daily quiet time. You need to have devotions, okay? So at some point here, you're not only hearing the word of God. Secondly, here, you're reading the word of God. Thirdly, you need an outlet to study the word of God. Where you're studying a great truth or a great doctrine. In fact, it says in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Listen, as a baby longs for its mother's milk and hear the spiritual milk is the word of God, you need to long for it that you may grow up in salvation. Listen, we don't want any of you to be babies in the things of the Lord. So you need to hear it, you need to read it, you need to study it. Fourthly, you need to memorize the word. Memorize the word. I, you know, I suppose I, I should tell you that here's my plan. I don't necessarily have to memorize because I'm in the word so often because that's my role here. But I think I'm so much into the text, I could recite to you portions of scriptures like probably Ephesians 4, close to my heart. But whatever your method is or mine, you need to memorize the word. You say, well, why do you say that? Because of this, Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. You got to hide it in the heart. You got to memorize that word. You got to memorize it. And then fifthly, you got to meditate. There's the five-fold grip. You got to meditate on the word. I remember as a young man, this biography changed my life. It's still probably one of the greatest 
biographies I ever read by George Mueller. Um, it was such a wonderful biography on his life of faith as he led the orphanage in Bristol, England. And there were times that he'd be sitting around the table, uh, George, Dr. Mueller, what are we going to eat? I don't know. And they had no food to provide all the little ones who were at his table at that day, but he just kept praying, and then there'd be a knock on the door, miracle after miracle after miracle, that in light of having nothing, people would supply everything they need. But here was the secret to George Mueller. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day, he said, was to make my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not, listen to what he said, how much I might serve the Lord. It's a noble thing, but that's not his first preoccupation. Not even how much, Mueller said, I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. Mueller said, I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and meditation on it. What a great thought. He, you, you've got to have a five-fold grip. You say, well, what, are, what are those again? Hear the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God, memorize the word of God, and meditate on the word of God. That is a five-fold grip. Some of you... I'm, you know, I don't know if I'm trying to exhort you or I, you have a pinky grip. And your pinky grip is this. The pinky grip is you're here and I'm thrilled you're here. We want you to be here. But you don't have a five-fold grip. Your grip is like trying to open, my wife's brought to me in the last two days. Have you ever, have you ever had to do this? Open one of those crystal geyser one-gallon water bottles? She can't do it. So she brings it to the power lifter, okay? And I'm telling you, those one-gallon deals, I got to kind of feel like I'm getting the, somebody in a headlock with a noogie, and I have to get my grip on that thing, and I don't want to let her know I'm struggling. <laughs> She's just smiling at her. But I just, I just, I don't know how they made those vacuum-packed crisp. And, I, and then, so then I have to work it back and work it forward, work it back, and finally it cracks. I go, here you go, dear, Right? But there is no way that I could open that thing without a five-fold grip. At least he's opening. But I feel like some of you are trying to open a crystal geyser bottle with a pinky. And I want to exhort you to excel still more. If you're a man in here, if you're a new married in here, you got to spend time in the Word of God. If you're a single guy, you got to spend time in the Word of God. you got to memorize. You've got to meditate. Let me share just one story I had from, do you guys know Chuck Swindoll? Chuck Swindoll, the famous old preacher, and uh, he's still going, I believe, in Texas. He's probably in his mid-80s, but he, he said this one time, and I, I just copied it and I've kept it. He said, Swindoll, quote, he said, when I was in the Marines, some of the time that I was away, I was stationed in Japan, 8,000 miles away from my wife and family, 
lots of free time, and plenty of opportunities, Swindoll said, to drift into sexual escapades. For those who didn't want the hassle of a commitment to one woman, there was an island available, he said, full of one-nighters, brightly lit bars. He said, gorgeous women, in parentheses, externally that is, Females of any nationality you pleased were open seven nights a week, 375 days a year. He said the temptation, uh, the central temptation was fierce to say the least. He said, I was in my 20s. I was a Christian. He said, I was also 100% human. It didn't take me long to realize that unless I learned how to force my body to behave, I'd be no different from the any other Marine on liberty. He said, I developed ways to stay busy. I occupied my time with creative involvements. When walking along the streets, he said, I walked fast. I refused to linger and allow my body to respond to the glaring come on signals. My eyes looked straight ahead. Sometimes Swindoll said, I I literally ran into my destination. I constantly, he said, I consciously forced myself to tune out the sensual music. I disciplined my mind through intensive reading and a scripture memory program. I began most days praying for God's strength to get me through. He said the battle was difficult, but the commitment to sexual purity paid rich dividends. Listen, beloved, mortify, kill the flesh. But secondly, meditate on the word. You know this one by heart, dads. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but you shall, what? Meditate, it, meditate on it, how much? Day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that is written according to it. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. I love that. Psalm 1-2, you know this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, what? Day and night. So listen, beloved, here's the key for your life, for my life, is to mortify sin, to meditate on the word. Remember Hebrews 4-12, that the word of God is living and what? Active. Sharper than what? Any two-edged sword. Listen, you say, what are you trying to say with this transformation? I just promise you, if you put your nose in the book, and it doesn't really work like this, if you just would read the word every day, so I don't know if it's helping me, I would say, that's, 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 you're wrong. It's living it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? You say, Scott, what are you saying to me? I just promise you, high school student, high school young lady, high school young man, you say, well, there's a lot of battles out there, but you've got a greater God and the greater power of the word of God that's living and active, and you need to mortify the flesh, meditate on the word. And the last one, we'll touch there maybe at the end of the year to manifest Christ's likeness, and that's put on the new self. So remember when DeYoung said that no one makes it far in the school of holiness 
without having one's days, years, hours in the Word of God. One writer said this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. Its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map. It is the pilgrim's staff. It is the pilot's compass. Compass, it is the soldier's sword. It is the Christian's character. Here, paradise is restored. Heaven is opened. The gates of hell disclosed. Christ is the grand object. Our good is its design. And the glory of God, its end. It should fill the memory. It should rule the heart. It should guide the feet. Read it. It says slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life. It will be open to you in judgment. And it will be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, will reward the greatest labor, and will condemn all who trifle with its sacred contents. Listen, taste and see that the Lord is good. Renew your mind by the agent of the Holy Spirit through the means of the Word of God, and you will be transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.18, from one state of glory into the next.